Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Test Talks and Sometimes Listens podcast. I believe this is episode number nine now, which is kind of wild uh, when I think about the fact that I've been doing this for a couple of months and I feel like I'm getting slightly more experienced at it and I also feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. But I think that Everyone else that's my age or older than me or younger than me feels the same way about life. None of us know what we're doing. That being said, I'm talking to someone who has it pretty close to figured out today. Uh, I am talking to a very accomplished and talented uh, young woman who I was training with as a dancer a decade ago. Uh, She is a compassionate friend in the fiercest of ways, one of those those rare, fiercely compassionate people. And I'm so grateful to have her on the podcast today. Please welcome my friend Carly Prescott, a professional ballet dancer with Oklahoma City Ballet. Carly, hello and welcome. Hello, thank you for having me today. I'm excited. Thank you for being here. I know, it's been a decade ago. We were dancing together a decade ago. Yeah, that is absolutely crazy. It doesn't feel like that much time has gone by. It really doesn't. And you have been dancing the whole... A a decade ago was the beginning of the end of my dancing. And a decade, you've been... The whole last 10 years, you've been hustling. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of funny that you say that because right around when I met you is when I first started dancing. Um, That's true. end of one chapter is the beginning of another. It's true. It's very true. Um, so you, uh, you and I danced together. We've been over this 10 years ago, training in this little pre-professional company we were both training in. Um, and it was, it was a pretty like hardcore training, uh, for high schoolers really is what we were at the time. Um, And then you moved to Oklahoma, and can you take us through sort of like your dance career up through, like from that point until now? Sure. So after I moved from um, Colorado, I moved to Oklahoma City, and I started dancing with the Oklahoma City Ballet School. Um, I danced there for all four years of high school. And then I was accepted to the University of Oklahoma um, School of Dance. Yeah, which is, for anyone that doesn't know, an incredibly prestigious ballet program. So I was very, definitely very fortunate to dance there and train there for four years. Um, It's a pretty small program, and so um, I know that isn't necessarily everyone's experience, but I had... um, for the most part, a good experience there. Um, good. That I actually ended up taking a fifth year to do some other academic pursuits. Um, and I still dance, but not as seriously for my last year there. Sure. And then I, right when the pandemic happened, I auditioned for Oklahoma City Ballet's professional company. And I was offered a contract with their second company, or studio company as they call it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I've been doing for this past year. Yeah, through the pandemic, which is, of course, Mm -hmm. crazy timing. 
Um, let's hop back just for a second to uh, to your college experience because I do want to tap on what else you did at school. Can you tell us when you graduated and and what you um what your degrees plural what your degrees are in? Yes, yeah, so I just graduated this past May, May twenty twenty, um, and I got my BFA in ballet performance as well as. A Bachelor of Science in Multiple Disciplinary Studies, focusing in chemistry and psychology. So I kind of tell people, you know, multiple disciplinary studies is a mouthful. So I just tell people that I got my degree in neurochemistry because that's essentially what I focused on. That yeah, exactly. So you're not you're not just a dancer and an artist, but also like an academic, successful woman of science, which is pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. badass. <laughs> um. So graduated, that's still under a year ago, wow. Um, And then since then, you've been dancing with uh, Oklahoma City Ballet Studio Company, and you were telling me before before we hit record, you were telling me how Oklahoma City Ballet is is one of, did you say only two uh, companies in the country that continue to have in-person performances? Did you say you've been dancing the whole year? Yes. Well, we started a bit late. Usually, ballet seasons go from about August to May, and so due to the pandemic, we didn't start until the end of October. Um, but okay. still, yeah, October through April was our season. That's awesome. Did you have a, a favorite show from your from your first season in professional dance life? Um, we did. So we had the Nutcracker in December, and then we did the firebird in february oh and i love that show yes beautiful um we had it is part of the main season but we don't perform at our main theater downtown the civic center it's in our black box theater at the studio okay it's called the voices which is where um senior dancers on the company get the opportunity to choreograph on other dancers oh great so i actually um was really grateful to get the opportunity to dance a uh, pas de deux, which is a duet um, with my best friend who's on the main company. And okay. we actually went to a few together and now we're on the Oklahoma City Ballet together. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, so it's so fun. We got to dance a duet to Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> How great so, is that? Yeah, I think that one has been my favorite just because... You know, the storyline and getting to dance with my best friend and having the opportunity to do uh, a paw as a studio company member. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's that's wonderful. It sounds like you had a good mix um, for your first season of, of like the traditional classic stuff and also the original different stuff, which people don't realize that's what a lot of professional ballet is now is is original works just as much as, you know... Swan Lake and Don Quixote and all of the classics that we think of as as ballets. Yeah, definitely. Oh, good. So, did you always want to be a dancer? I know that you started a little bit um, later than probably I would say the average person starts dancing who who goes to the professional track. Did you know right away, or did it just sort of continue developing until until you got there? Or how did how when did you know that this is what you wanted to do? So I actually always wanted to be a professional cellist. Growing okay. up, I've been playing the cello since kindergarten my whole life, and that's what I wanted to do. And then 
um, I started dancing just kind of as something fun to do at, you know, this little studio in Colorado where I met you. Uh-huh. And I still, I wasn't so convinced about dancing, but dancing at Madame Marie's studios definitely mm. kind of sparked that initial flame, that initial passion. It was, it was a really special place, especially that, like, those couple of years were, like, the, those were the golden years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that environment, too, is just so supportive and very, I think she was, her talent was cultivating artists and cultivating young people. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah. But then I moved to Oklahoma, and the high school I went to didn't have an orchestra program. Oh. And so I was kind of like, wow, I don't know what to do. You know, this whole thing that I had wanted to spend my life doing is now taken away from me. So uh, we kind of looked at another ballet studio just so I had a form of, you know, an artistic outlet. Yeah. Uh, And then from there, each year I liked it more and more, but I still, at that point, I was like, okay, no, I want to go into a STEM field. I want to go into research or med school. And so when I auditioned for college, I was kind of just using ballet as a way to pay for my tuition. Yeah. Not really what I wanted to go into. But at OU, I just absolutely fell in love with the performing arts and the whole, just the entire, every single part of performing from the design of it to the theatrics to the um, technical aspects. Um, And so I just absolutely fell in love with it and I knew that's what I wanted to do sure no that's great so I I would say that that definitely is later for a dancer like to not really know that that is what you wanted to do until you're in college is Mm -hmm. yeah wow I, I think that I might even go as far as to say that I had exactly the opposite experience, <laughs> I think. Like, um, like, I was two, and my mom stuck me in, like, a combination tap and ballet class as something to keep me busy when my older brother was at preschool. Like, and that was it. Like, I was a ballerina from the time I was two till the time I was 18. It's all I cared about. It's all I talked about. It's... The only way I defined myself. Um, And then I just had this really weird like shift at like the end of my senior year of high school where I just, I I think I had been so strict on myself that this is what I have to do with my life. That once the opportunity, once I allowed myself like the grace of actually you can do whatever you want. Like you don't have to stick to your, your five-year-old dream. Um, I kind of feel like I ran in the other direction from it after that. And and I, and I am glad that I did, but I am also glad that I spent my entire childhood as a dancer. That was, that was who I was supposed to be then, and it just took me a while to learn how to honor who I'm supposed to be now and accept that those two versions can be different people. But, um, so I think that's like, totally the opposite of, of your dance experience from what it sounds like but <laughs> um so let's let's talk about some stuff that's a little harder to talk about um in the ballet world uh there's there's a couple of big ones but there is do, agree or disagree that there is a certain level of toxicity 
in the air that dancers breathe whenever we're around each other. 100%. 100%. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, I think... I think that there um, there can be a lot of hard stuff going on. You hear um, horror stories of, you know, people ruining each other's point shoes before an audition so that they have better chances and, and crazy, just crazy, like, catty stuff that I think all boils down to jealousy. Um, how, do you, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about jealousy and ballet? I... Do think it varies depending on the environment. I think administration is a big part of the environment that they cultivate and that they tolerate. Yeah. But where you go, there's always going to be um, like this competition. Um, and unfortunately, in ballet, there is this very rigid expectation of who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to look like and yes so outside of kind of the artistic side of it there really isn't a lot of individuality you kind of have to fit this one mold and so there's every single person trying to fit that mold and it's always a competition of who can fit it best and so I think that leads to a lot of um, yeah a lot of jealousy a lot of like you said, cattiness, um, clickiness. Mm-hmm. And I think also dancers, because we are so hard on ourselves, um, it is a very demanding art form. Um, there's a lot of insecurity, uh, underlying insecurities within people that come out also it's, in their communities, which they project onto other people, I think. It, that's definitely true. And it's interesting that... Um, uh, I, I completely agree with you that dancers have a lot of underlying insecurities um, because we are putting just sort of a constant pressure on ourselves to chase perfection while we still know it's completely unattainable. Like, that's the standard we're setting. Um, and it's interesting, though, because I feel like it should be like a confidence builder. It should be like an empowering thing that we are doing what I truly believe to be the most badass art form, the hardest, the hardest one um, to physically execute. And we do it with a smile on our face while, you know, balancing all of our body weight on the tips of our toes and jumping around. Um, and yet we don't, we don't see ourselves as, as uh, heroes of the artistic world. We just, um, yeah, we, we, the insecurities are always there for dancers, I think. I think it's actually almost, we don't see ourselves as heroes. It's all we have created this culture of being martyrs of the art form. Mm. And whoever is the best martyr is seen as the most successful artist. But, you know, that's a really interesting point. And um, that is uh, something, I don't know if you know the author Glennon Doyle at all. I don't know if you've heard of her. I don't think so. Um, well, I, I, I'm going to send you some books. Um okay. But she, uh, she's just this really admirable, cool memoir lifestyle writer. And she, uh, she uses exactly that word, martyr. She talks about how uh, women have always idolized the idea of martyrdom and how maybe that's not the right thing to be idolizing. And, um, you know, instead of 
giving yourself up to be a dancer, a wife, a mother, whatever it is that, you know, you're uh, idolizing, um, instead of giving that up to put your energy into yourself and, and lead that way. Um, yeah, I think I, I hadn't applied that to dance specifically, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, huh. Yeah. Glennon Doyle. (laughs) Um, she actually says something else that is, uh, similar and it's about, um, you know, she's obviously a big, big, like feminist. And she says, um, that the more successful women get, the less we as society tend to like them and trust them. While the more successful men get, uh, the more we as society tend to trust them and like them. And I think that is true and heartbreaking. It is definitely. And I think you wouldn't ever expect this because ballet is a primarily female dominated art form, mm-hmm. but actually such a huge um, gender disparity in ballet right now. Um, I think I saw a statistic the other day that less than 2% of artistic directors and choreographers in the ballet world are female. They're all male. Wow. Um, women are still, there's a huge wage gap in ballet. Men are paid a lot more than their female counterparts of equal ranks. Yeah. There's kind of this, I think the start of a revolution coming soon where women are really trying to take back um, ballet world, not just being, you know, these dancers, these empty canvases that men um, portray their artistic visions onto, but where women are the ones who have the power to create art not just as bodies. Right. No, that's a really important, um, we, we deserve to be more than the canvas. That is a really important point that you make. And I, I think it goes back into how, you know, you're talking about your first season this past year, how there was uh, traditional works and original works. Um, every traditional ballet I can think of is, is choreographed and composed by men. So, I mean, because, you know, they're, very old but (laughs) yeah so we we need the revolution we need the new work that's a really really important piece of the puzzle and I think even the it's funny you mentioned like the wage gap too um that is even true for students like literally for 10 year olds like if you are a boy you can dance at the studio for free you know uh have you ever taught I don't have a lot of experience teaching now. I've taught a couple classes here and there. Like at OU, we had to take a couple pedagogy classes or just subbing for friends, but okay. I don't really have teaching experience. Sure, sure. Um, that's, that's, uh, that ended up, that was never something that I thought that I was going to go into, but it has been something that has just kind of ended up bringing me a tremendous amount of joy. Um, and I haven't taught since the pandemic, but, uh, I've taught mostly ballet, but a lot of different genres of dance to a lot of different age groups. And and I can promise that the boys get special treatment far beyond when the day they get hired as a professional, you know? Okay. It's kind of a double-edged sword, too, because 
on one hand, you kind of need at this point to give young boys and men special treatment because you need to retain them right. because they're such a negative construct against men who are dancers. They're seen as very, you know, feminine. It's not really considered a real profession for men. So I think society needs to move away from that toxic masculinity. Yeah. Also move into promoting, you know, women in leadership roles in the arts. I I think that's a really important point. Um, My kind of feminism means rights for men too. It's an equality thing, and and um, destigmatizing ballet for men and empowering women to be more than the canvas are, are yeah, like you said, the double edged sword. There's there's two sides of that for sure. Hmm. And so we have talked about gender, uh, and we have talked about jealousy, which I wanted to touch on. Um, there is a third, I have a third talking point here under my uh, toxicity of ballet list. Um, and it's a pretty big one. And it is, I'm not sure if it was an excuse or a reason, but it is a big piece of my personal puzzle of why I stopped dancing ballet. And um, that is eating disorders. Do you want to give us maybe a, just kind of a, nutshell statement on how those two are linked yes unfortunately eating disorders are very rampant in the dance world and kind of like you said it is really the reason why so many people um, stop dancing i think the majority of everyone that i have danced with um, growing up throughout high school and college who stopped dancing the reason is because of the in disorders and the culture of the really unhealthy culture of trying to achieve this perfect body standard that just absolutely is outdated and does not work for everyone. It Um, does not work for everyone. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think that everybody that I know that is a dancer, if not, I mean, I, I think everyone, you know, has struggles. Um, there is a tremendous amount of people that truly have, like, diagnosable or diagnosed eating disorders that are dancers. And then the rest of the dancers are also just constantly living in the vicinity of it. So everyone is affected. Yes, yeah. I definitely agree. And I think one of the hard parts is ballet still has this very antiquated way of thinking and the majority of our teachers are still you know they're older and they're from the older generations mm-hmm. um, where it was encouraged to not eat or to diet for a performance and so it's always encouraged to lose weight lose weight lose weight but then there aren't resources to do so in a healthy way and people who don't necessarily have this ideal paper-like appearance that people always talk about the famous ballerina Anna Pavlova uh-huh. having an answer doesn't match that you know maybe their body isn't meant to be like that maybe they are more naturally muscular that needs to be more widely accepted it's in true. the world and it isn't right now and I think it is a large part of kind of the older generation still leaving the dance world um, and encouraging that disordered mindset 
uh, to be thinner and thinner and thinner. And, oh, you can't eat, otherwise your partner won't be able to lift you. Oh, my gosh. I know. I've I've been told things like that. <laughs> Very small. You wouldn't think, I don't think all the time um, people who are our teachers or things like that, They, I don't think they're intending to be malicious, but I think they also don't always understand the weight that their words carry in making small comments like that. Um, there's definitely <laughs> yeah spending eight hours a day in front of a mirror staring at yourself <laughs> oh my gosh exactly like I, what are we how are we supposed to feel good about ourselves when teachers are telling us not to eat and to lose weight and threatening that our partner won't be able to lift us and we get to yeah wear practically nothing in front of the mirror all day that's gonna that's gonna scare an eating disorder into anyone you know and even Kind of what we were talking about earlier, the comparative nature, um, you're standing next to someone, you know, also wearing next to nothing all day, so you're bound to compare yourself to the people around you. It's true. And, it's... You know, some successful, you're going to want to try everything that that person is doing to also be successful. Yeah, and, and be successful in not even necessarily the right thing just what the ballet society has convinced us is the right thing which is you Anna Pavlova the tall skinny spindly like that that is the goal to to you know blow over when the wind picks up like that that is the um pressure that we put on ourselves and some bodies do look like that that's that's bodies look all kind they take every single different kind of shape but I mean, I know personally when when I was uh, when I was struggling with my relationship with food, it was never a battle to be healthy. It was never a battle to be fit. I just wanted to be skinny. That was the only that was the only goal. Less of me. The less of me that exists, the more worthy I am. How backwards is that? It is very backwards, and uh, again that. Unfortunately, that behavior is kind of rewarded. It's, yeah. Um, um, I've heard of teachers, you know, congratulating students for losing weight, um, but they don't know, they don't see that this student was starving themselves for the whole week, you know? Right. I think also contributes to the very high prevalence of injuries among dancers, and especially um, dancers who are you know, still developing, going through puberty, that's a very important time for, you know, bone development. Yeah. And so a lot of women especially have very low bone densities because they're just not eating enough, not getting uh, the nutrients that they need for their development. And so that really contributes to terrible injuries and things like developing osteoporosis early on in life. Wow. It's really, it's a really tragic, I think, that happens it is incredibly tragic and um bringing up injuries is very relevant because uh your body is supposed to be your tool and you need to take care of your tool uh in order to perform i mean you know it's it's you would never do that with anything else you would never do that with your cello you would never get rewarded uh by teachers for treating your cello poorly do you know what i mean but that's what we do to our bodies yeah, it's a good point. I think it is, it's hard to make the separation between your body is your instrument 
and not just this dispendable thing that I think we treat it as sometimes. We definitely can. And you would think betters would be better, or betters, you would think dancers would be better about that since we depend on our bodies to carry us through a work day, a performance, a adagio, like. It's, um, it can be, uh, yeah, take care of yourself and that will make you a better dancer. But we, uh, we try to do both. Maybe that's one of the reasons that dance careers are, are so short. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, can, can you speak to that? You definitely have more professional, like understanding than I do. Um, but we, we do hear about the, the short shelf life of a dancer. Can you speak to that at all? Yeah, I think on average, um, the majority of dancers stop dancing around 25 or 26. Yeah. And so by the time you're 30, people are already looking at you like uh, it's time to retire. Yep. <laughs> you know, a new, fresh 16-year-old already ready to take your spot. Um, it's just so crazy. Like when you talk to... Uh, people who aren't around the arts or aren't uh, familiar with dance as an art form, mm. they say, 30 and you're already retiring, that's absolutely ridiculous. But by that point, for most people who have been dancing since, you know, they were five years old, mm-hmm. spending 25 years doing ballet, it's very damaging to your body. And so if you don't get injured by the time you're 30, um, then by that time, you, it's just mentally exhausting. You spent so much of your life um, in such a demanding, toxic, um, very difficult environment, so it's hard. Yeah. You, know, you people out so quickly, and they want to do other things with their lives. Well, it's true. And, I, I mean, I know a lot of dancers, and I, I myself thought that I was going to be this way, but um, that didn't go to, to university for ballet because that's using four years of your shelf life. <laughs> I have to retire when I'm 30, so I got to get dancing now, you know? Um, yeah, and I think uh, there's just a incredible amount of... Well, and then if, if that's the route that you decide to take, if you join a professional company when you're 18, 19, um, what do you do after you retire? Yeah. <laughs> then you have, you know, the the next 60, 70 years of still existing as a person and retired from your career and, um, you know, feeling probably pretty unworthy. I, I hate knowing that there are people that are in that position. Yeah, that is kind of a really sad thing. Um, I'm not sure if you experienced this when you stopped dancing, but I know a lot of people that dance was their identity mm. for so long when they stopped dancing. It's kind of this ego death in a way where they're ego really, death I like that yeah they're not really connected to their life or who they are as a person anymore because this one um, core pillar of their identity has been stripped away and so they are very lost and yeah it's a very challenging time no I I completely experienced that and I I feel like I've I mean I, I danced a little bit I did after I quote unquote retired from ballet I continued to uh, to dance and perform and do theater for a few years but um that was sort of my like it's whatever the opposite of a launching pad is it was like my come down from dance (laughs) 
uh, transition, but I definitely can relate to what you're saying. A dancer was all I identified as in every way. I mean, that, that's still my, my Instagram handle still has dancer in the title. Like that's, um, that's everything that I was for so, so long. And, uh, ego death is a really good way to put it. Um, but for me, it was, it was a good thing. It, it was ultimately a release of a tremendous amount of pressure I was putting on myself and, um, the opportunity to get to know myself and allow that woman to do whatever she wants. Cause you only get one life. <laughs> um, so it was ultimately a good thing, but it was definitely hard. And, um, yeah, coming, coming down from something that you completely identify as is, is tough, but I think you have done a, a great job of, being a dancer and having that not be your only identity. Do you agree with that? I do agree. I think I'm very fortunate. I don't think a lot of dancers um, get that opportunity. Opportunity, um, And the, I mean, it does come with its challenges, obviously. Um, like having two careers at the same time is very difficult. And sometimes, I mean, sacrificing the other. Um, right. But I think... Having that balance, not only being a dancer, that's the only thing I identify as, it helps not only, I guess, prevent that um, toxic culture, that toxic um, view of oneself as only an artist, and so becoming a martyr to the art form Mm -hmm. um, in a way. Um, but I think it also, being an artist as well as, as a scientist, they help, there's a crossover. I think they both help the other career in a lot of ways. Yeah? Well, yeah, I think, yeah t- tell me about that. Um, so my plan after dancing, I want to go to medical school. Okay. And I think, I mean... I know we're saying like, oh, dancing, spending your whole life as a dancer and then stopping it, very difficult. But at the same time, I think even when people stop dancing, that doesn't mean maybe they're not physically dancing anymore, but I don't think that means that they're not artists anymore. Um, I Yes. That a dancer is always part of their identity, even if they don't physically practice anymore. Um, I can so agree like with I, that. <laughs> I still consider you, you know, a beautiful artist. Oh, um, <laughs> and you just made my day. <laughs> um, and I think that is, for a lot of people, it's hard to see that they still are artists and people will always view them as artists. Right. Um, but art to me is kind of, it is a form of service. Um, I believe in art as you know a form of healing as a form of escapism as helping as a form of of communication and um yeah an action between people and in medicine um that's the same way you were using scientific knowledge to heal and connect and communicate and better people's lives and so I think being an artist before you know going into a field of medicine that's something I would never give up I don't think I would ever change my years spent as a dancer because I think it 
gives you so many valuable perspectives and um, a unique understanding of the human experience that you can't really get any other way. Oh, I think um, being of service. I love that you said that and um, how you connected it to, to both of your both of your careers. Um, that's, that's very true. That's kind of a... Uh, like a yoga teacher is um is is being of service is uh big in the yoga teacher world and I had I I didn't connect it to dance until until you painted that picture but you're right it's um art is important and empowering and uh you know there's a wonderful C.S. Lewis quote that I'm sure you're familiar with that I'm also sure I will butcher horribly but uh, it, it essentially is saying, you know, there are things that you need to survive and then there are things that make surviving worth it. Like art is not, uh, it's not food, it's not water, it's not something that is necessary for your survival, but it's it's the reason that surviving is worth it because it's the enjoyment part, you know? So yeah, I think dancers are being of service uh, and, and artists are being of service, Um just as much as yoga teachers and doctors and chemists, um, all in very different ways, but that's that's what we're doing. Hmm. Well, we <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I was just saying, yeah, we're doing that the best we can. The best we can. So that's um, that's a, a good transition, actually, because I think uh, I do want to ask after talking about some of the toxicity that is involved in the pressure and the trauma and the tragedy, um, do you think that uh, there's a, a more hopeful, brighter future for ballet with more equality and more body representation and less jealousy and more empowerment and beauty? Are we, are we heading in that direction? I think we are. Um, I mean, there's... It's been a, a slow change, and I think there are little glimmers of hope, you know, um, breaking down gender barriers and promoting more equality, and I think people are finally starting to recognize things like gender disparities. Um, yeah. People are starting to call out the toxic um, body image and eating disorder culture, um, but I think it takes kind of a more radical change, Yeah. I think a lot are afraid of that because ballet is such a traditional art form and also this ballet is very eurocentric um it is very mm-hmm. um white dominated and it's not always welcoming of people of other races and ethnicities and backgrounds and cultures and i think there's very very small um call to change that um which is good but i do think we definitely need to take uh, a more radical approach um we need to really shake up the dance world yeah and it is a thing and it will be a lot of change um so i think we will get there i just think that it takes it will take a lot of work yeah yeah i uh i agree with that I, i'm glad to to know that from what you're seeing uh, is people are starting to call it out. And so, I mean, the, the first step is 
painstakingly slow and hard to be patient and that never feels like we're doing enough. But it, it is true that the first steps are awareness and, and calling it out and, and talking about it, which is why I wanted you to have this conversation with me today. So you are a part of that even even just now. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for allowing me to have a voice and for giving me this platform. But, um, I think it's it starts with everyone, even the tiniest studios. It takes the work of everyone, no matter where they are, to really speak up and um, commit to making a difference in whatever environment they're in. I, I totally agree. The, the big changes are brought about by the the little little guys the little studios and that happening all over you know the town and then the state and then the world eventually um so i'm i'm glad to know that you are ultimately hopeful about it uh even though it sounds like um and i i can i relate to this very well uh the frustration of of not doing enough does i do kind of hear that in you as well yeah well, what would you, um, I, I know you're, you're not necessarily like a dance teacher. I mean, I'm sure you're a great dance teacher, but, uh, what, what advice or offerings do you have? If there is a 10 year old ballerina listening to this podcast right now, what, what do you want to tell her or him? Um, I would say. It's a big question. That is a big question. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> okay, I think this will start off as a bit of a cliche, but not being afraid to take your own path. Um, and I think especially in dance, because no one really is an individual um, yeah. in the ballet world, um, and there is so much pressure to follow a certain path that path is not for everyone. You know, you don't have to start dancing at a certain time. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to become a professional if you don't want to. Um, you can just do dance for fun. You know, art is art. Um, it's very much follow your own path in the sense that you can make whatever you want of the art form, whether it's just for you or whether it's for helping other people, um, whether it's what you want to dedicate your whole life to, or whether it's something you only want a part of your life to be dedicated to. Um, yeah. Yeah, really up to you not letting other people's ideas or pressures influence you in the path you take or your view of what the art form is. That is, is perfect advice to... Um... I know it sounds like a cliche, but that that's it's a good one to to follow your own path, um, because I think the more brave young dancers we have doing that, um, you know, you, it just takes a few people to do that for the rest of us to to realize, hey, <laughs> I can do it too, and you know, where not everybody who wants to participate in this has to fit the mold inside and outside the studio of what a dancer is supposed to be, of what an artist is supposed to be. Um, if you're, if you're brave enough to be yourself and enjoy 
what you want to do and do it in your own way, that's going to just start happening more and more and more. And, you know, that's, it just takes a few brave people for the rest of us to realize we're not alone. Thank you. I mean it. I'm, I'm so happy to talk to you this morning. Um, I do have, I have one final question and it's uh, your answer can involve dance or art, but it doesn't have to as it, it, um, it's, it's something that I ask every guest at the, at the end of the episode. And that is if you have one concrete tip or trick that people can, uh, do or use every day in their lives just to sort of cope to manage the stress of being a person in 2021 and enjoy their day more what do you have for us (laughs) I would say do what makes you happy Um, you know from an art perspective If you, you know, it's so demanding if you just don't put the pressure, maybe you're not having a good class that day, don't put the pressure on yourself that you need to be perfect every day. Um, Just remember you're dancing because you love it. So maybe you don't have a good class that day and that's perfectly fine. You'll come in the next day and make it better. Or um, from a science perspective, you know, maybe you're not enjoying the project you're working on. So maybe you take a few days off from working on that and you do something that you are interested in that you're happy. Um, or you try to remember, you know, why did you start this in the first place? Yeah. Um, you know, if you feel like maybe you're kind of getting into that toxic um, culture, a toxic view of yourself as a dancer, Take a brief step back, um, you know, just do something that you like, like playing music or go on a walk or have another form of artistic outlet. Um, really just, yeah, don't let the negativity or the overwhelming stressful parts consume you and become what your art form or what your career is. Always, I think it's important to always remember the reason why you love doing it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Because kind of, yeah, we become soiled by all those everyday stresses. It's true, it's true. We start doing something usually, hopefully, um, from a place of joy. That's why everybody has every ballerina started dancing, you know, from from a place of joy. And then we kind of slowly deplete that as uh as we put more expectation and pressure on ourselves. Um so connecting back to that root of joy or finding a, another thing that you can bring into your day, you know, finger painting or singing in the shower or cuddling with your cat, whatever it is. My cat has been surprisingly quiet, by the way, this entire podcast. He's been asleep on the chair next to me. I did hear the train. I heard the train of, and you, uh, on, on your ends. And uh, there was definitely a helicopter that flew over my house at some point on my end. But... <laughs> um. But I, I digress. I think, yeah, uh, that's a really good answer to, to connect back to your joy or to find a different avenue for it on the days when that's just too frustrating. <laughs> well, Carly, thank you for being here. I so 
I I so appreciate it and um just talking to you for the last hour. I I miss I miss you. I miss your presence. You are so um you are so thoughtful and so calming and and I need this pandemic to end so I can come see you. <laughs> yes, hopefully soon. Hopefully uh, soon. So having me and yeah, I'm glad we got to catch up and I'm so thankful that ballet brought us together all those years ago a decade ago oh all right well thank you um to my guest carly prescott and uh thank you for for listening from wherever you are and i hope that today you are able to connect back to your root your joyful root um for whatever whatever art artistic influence you have in your life and if that doesn't feel like it's working uh you can always you can always sing in the shower (laughs) um thank you for being here and this episode is coming out at the end of april so i will see you on the 15th of may